If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we are going to talk about estate planning. Joining me today is David York. He's an attorney, CPA, and an estate planner, and you're with York Howell. So welcome to the show, David. Oh, thanks, Heather. Really looking forward to it, and always love talking estate planning. I just want to have an estate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about, though. That's just, you know, more money, more problems, too, right? You know, it's just uh, more to worry about. Exactly. But the estate planning that we're talking about today is how you plan for what happens with your holdings after you die. And your holdings could be stocks or bonds or money and houses or even if you have younger kids, I guess. What would you do with minor children if you were to pass away? Yeah. And, you know, whenever I talk about estate planning with clients, I really talk about accomplishing four things. The first is control, you know, to that question. If something happened to you, who do you want making medical decisions? Who do you want making financial decisions? Uh, If you blast off, who do you want taking care of your minor kids? Who do you want managing money? How do you want to provide for spouse? And then part of control is flexibility. Second, you know, we always have to deal with taxes, you know, the two, two certainties, death and taxes. Uh, but even after you die, there, there are uh, capital gains taxes, estate taxes that can come into play. Third, it's about protecting the assets that you have. Asset protection is an important part. Uh, just like we use corporations and LLCs to limit liability, estate planning can be used to protect assets for your family if something happens. And then fourth, it's about keeping things private, avoiding probate, um, and um, the court-supervised process of that. A lot of clients uh, don't want to go through that, uh, and they want to create a system uh, that allows that to be kept private and within the family. So that's really what we're trying to accomplish when we do estate planning, to steal control, be tax efficient, protect the assets, and keep things private. My understanding is one of the first things that you need to have in order to have an estate that would be passed on is to make out a will or a trust. What's the difference between a will and a trust? You know, if those reasons are kind of the why, then the question becomes, okay, how do we accomplish this? And there's certain key documents that I think are important for anyone. And honestly, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have minor children, adult children, these are things that I think are are important to have both in case of disability and in death. So we usually start with with medical and financial powers of attorney so that obviously we're all going to die, or at least that's the way it looks like for most of us. But the reality is that may be a long time away, but a lot of people face disability or the inability to make their own medical decisions. So especially for single people, let's say you're in a committed relationship or you're, you're uh, uh, divorced or widowed, it's important to have people who can make medical decisions for you or financial decisions in case of disability. And unfortunately, Utah has a, a good statutory form that's been adopted uh, for medical financial decisions if you're disabled. Then a will obviously is an important document that says, okay, if I were to die, who do I want to raise minor children? Who do I want to be responsible for managing my assets? Where do I want my assets uh, to go? Um, they Uh, we would point what's called a personal representative to file final tax returns, deal with last illness expenses, 
And then oftentimes we'll use a trust, a revocable trust. So revocable trusts are used to avoid probate uh, and the time and expense associated with those. They're designed to hold assets because, again, if you have minor children or you have a surviving spouse, um, oftentimes we want to hold assets in trust for them so that they're protected. So, you know, those are kind of the essential foundational documents we put together. And then depending on situations that people have business interests or uh, real estate holdings, we may do additional uh, planning on top of that, but always start with kind of those foundational wills, trust, and then medical and financial powers of attorney. Okay. So when I was 12, I made out a will because that's just the type of person I am, handed it to my parents and they looked at me like I was from Mars. I did not learn finance or anything money-wise from them. They didn't talk about that, but I was always like hyper-focused. Let's pretend that will is still in place. Can I then add a trust to it? Do you have to do the, the two together? How would that work? Yeah, great question. And I think it's really important to, to understand the assets that you have. So, for example, I have people who say, well, I have a will and, and my will is everything to my spouse or to my children. But you need to understand that a will is actually a default way that assets transfer. Assets transfer in three ways. The first is by title. So I could have a will that leaves everything to my spouse. If I have a a piece of property that's jointly titled with a business partner or a sibling, that will transfer to that joint title if it's in joint tenants with rights of survivorship. Second is beneficiary designations. So I might have a will, again, that leaves everything to my children. But if I have a life insurance policy that designates a spouse or a third party as the beneficiary, that's where those assets go. Bank accounts have beneficiary designations, retirement plans. And so oftentimes when you do a will in a trust, you'll do a will that directs any assets that you own at death that aren't in the trust already to go to the trust. But it's not just a matter of having a will and trust. It's also understanding the titling of your assets and the beneficiaries because you can have a lot of unintended consequences. I've seen situations where uh, people have gotten a divorce, but they never changed the beneficiary uh, from uh, a prior spouse. Uh, And then they pass away thinking their assets would go to their children. And instead, by that beneficiary designation, they go to spouse. Sometimes there's automatic provisions that change beneficiary designations in the event of divorce or in the event of marriage. Uh, retirement plan assets, uh, when you get married, automatically change to a, to a new spouse. So it, it is important to do that at estate planning, but it's also important to understand the kind of assets that you own. Do you find that some people never get a will or a trust because they think talking about after they're gone hastens their demise or something? I mean, it's some, some people find it difficult to talk about. Yeah. You know, I've had some clients say, look, I never want to sign a will because I've heard that everyone who's ever signed a will has either died or will die. Right. You know, but the same is true as you've, you've eaten a carrot. Uh, so, you know, I think some people uh, are reluctant because it's a, an issue of mortality. More often, honestly, I find that it's because they're they're one decision away. So for example, a lot of people with minor children who they may not know who they want to be the guardian, or maybe they want their parents and their spouse wants their parents. And so they don't make that decision. What you have to realize is if you don't do an estate plan, the state of Utah has one for you. 
there's defaults on where your assets go. And with guardians, for example, if you leave it up to the courts to decide where those the, the children go. So even though there may be some some tough decisions, 99% of the time, you're better off making those decisions than leaving those decisions to defaults or to third parties to make those decisions. You were speaking about Utah will decide for you. Is that true in every state? If I were, if I lived elsewhere and I died and didn't have a will, the court system in every state would go, okay, we're going to figure it out for you. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, most states have adopted what's called the Uniform Probate Code. And the Uniform Probate Code is a general recommended statute that deals with the transfer of assets on death. That said, each state has the ability to modify or change that. Um, and so um, if you're in California, Nevada, Utah, Delaware, each of those can have variations uh, on that. So while there's a lot of uniformity across the states with respect to certain inheritance rights or priority to be a personal representative, um, those can vary from state to state. And again, um, those defaults oftentimes, so so for example, if, if um, you're married when you die, but you have children from a prior marriage. A standard default leaves a, a certain amount plus half the estate to a surviving spouse and leaves the other half to your children if you don't have a will or trust. Very rarely do I have clients who that's the exact plan they want. Uh, they want to provide for a surviving spouse. They want to make sure their kids are not disinherited. Uh, so oftentimes these defaults are not what people want, but because they they see some level of complexity or difficulty or they're worried about cost, oftentimes they don't do that. And that can lead to some really, really unfortunate outcomes. We need to take a break. When we come back, we'll go into a little bit about that cost you just talked about. How much are you going to charge me, Dave, to get my life in order or my death in order, I guess. So we'll be right back with David York. He is an attorney, a CPA, and an estate planner with York Howell. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show. If it affects your life in any way, money-wise, we're talking about it. And today we're talking about estate planning. How do you get ready for the inevitable, which, as David said, is death, and with that comes taxes. So joining me is David York. He is an attorney, a CPA, and an estate planner with York Howell. David, you just mentioned at the tail end of that last segment People sometimes are concerned with how much is it going to cost them to work out where everything should go, what they want done with their property, and who's going to take care of minor kids. So if I walked into your office this morning and said, okay, let's get stuff together, how much am I going to have to fork over? You'll learn if you spend any time with a lawyer that the answer to almost every question is it depends, (laughs) Uh, you know, and we learn in three years of law school to never really ever directly answer a question. So, you know, it does depend. The, I mentioned earlier the importance of doing medical and financial powers of attorney. Those are actually forms that have been developed by the state of Utah. Uh, most states uh, have adopted a statutory form of those and fairly easy to access online. Um, what's great is if you use the form of the state that you're in, uh, generally, 
uh, medical providers, banks, financial institutions are required to use those. So there's really no excuse on those not to get something like that put together. In terms of, of wills and trusts, there are online resources. Some people like to can use LegalZoom um, or they'll use an attorney. To me, it's a lot like a lot of things. You can learn about managing your own investments or you can hire someone to manage those investments for you. You can look at and try to find insurance online or you can work with an insurance agent. So it really just depends on what you're trying to accomplish. I will say my bias in working with clients is always to do work on flat rate basis. Um, I know for a lot of a lot of people, an estate planning attorney might be the first attorney they've ever worked with, uh, you know, unless they've had a uh, a criminal issue or a personal injury or divorce, they may not have ever worked with an attorney before. And so sometimes there's, there's fear of, you know, how much is this going to cost me? What's it going to do? Uh, estate planning attorneys should offer to meet at no cost and really help to understand your search situation or circumstance, and then give you recommendations and provide clarity uh, in terms of what those costs are. You know, as I look in the marketplace in terms of cost, I, I think typically an estate plan can cost anywhere from, you know, $2,500 to $4,000 or $5,000, really kind of depending on um, your particular circumstance, your situation, the kind of assets you have, what level of complexity there is. But but there's a lot of uh, cost-effective alternatives. So there's a lot of estate planners who can do estate planning if you've got a fairly simple situation and it's, it's not overly expensive. I like what you said, you go by a flat rate. So once I met with you for the first time for free, and then I told you, this is yeah. my circumstance. This is how many kids I have, what I have to divvy up. Then you go, okay, for $2,500, that's it. We'll do the whole thing. Whereas some estate planners could say, I need a $500 retainer, mm -hmm. and then once he's used up that $500 based on how many hours he or she works, then they start coming back and go, okay, I worked another three hours. Give me another $2,000 or whatever your fee is. Yeah, and I think that's why I think that first appointment is so important to to understand your situation and to understand what those recommendations are because – I, you know, I've I've talked to many clients who said, look, I, I met with an estate planner. We, we met for a couple of hours. We chatted about some things. I didn't hear from them for two months. And then all of a sudden I got a bill in the mail and a stack of papers. And I couldn't remember why we met and met again and talked for a couple of hours and then got another bill and gave up. I, I really think uh, it's important to not only have clarity in the cost, but also in the, in the process. Um, and again, you know, you're young, you got two minor children, you're married, you know, that could be a fairly straightforward situation. That said, if you've got a closely held business, you have children from a prior marriage, uh, maybe you're in a relationship or a second marriage, um, you know, those are all, there's complicated issues there. There's tax issues, uh, there's succession planning and business issues. So I think spending a bit of time ahead and really understanding um, the situation adds to a lot of clarity, but I, I, you know, as a consumer, I would be concerned if someone can't tell me how long something's going to take and how long it's going to be. I, I remember when I was uh, 19 years old and went with my grandparents to Athens, Greece, and we got in a, in a cab 
And we had no idea where we were. We had no idea where we were going. We didn't know how long it would take. And I swear we passed the same statue six times because, <laughs> you know, the longer the, the cab ride was, I like now, by and large, whether it's Uber or even cab, they say, look, this is the expectation of how much a, a cab costs. And so I, I, I think if they could do it, we could do it. And I think that's something that, that's good for the consumer to, to understand how long is this going to take? What's this going to cost? And if you can't answer that, honestly, I, I think it makes sense to find someone else. You've talked about having the medical power of attorney. How is that different from a living will? Great question. Typically, we refer to uh, these as medical powers of attorney, um, but they also have um, what's called an advanced health care directive or a living will. Uh, that's kind of the vernacular. But what we mean by that is that's affirmative directions that you make if you're in certain cir- circumstances. So generally, if you're uh, as long as you're able to make your own medical decisions, certainly you can direct your own care. But what happens if you have a terminal condition or a vegetative state, what do you, what kind of care or treatment do you want? So uh, the living will is actually part of that Utah statutory form. Again, every state has a variation of this, but it gives directions to your agent of what you want to have happen if you're in certain situations uh, in terms of, of advanced care and organ donation and those kind of things. And I will tell you, it is much easier for a family to effectuate someone's wishes than it is to make the decision for themselves. And, you know, I'm in that sandwich generation, right, where you have kids you're taking care of, but you have adult parents that you're taking care of, too. And so anytime you can ha- you can effectuate what you know someone's wishes are, uh, the better. And this that living will is a form that allows people to to uh, express those wishes. Are all medical facilities or hospitals, are they obligated to follow the directives that are in someone's living will? Yeah, so it's a good question. So yes, they're generally required to follow the wishes of uh, a patient, a person. Um, the, The difficulty with that is obviously people are in so many unknown circumstances or situations, you know, it's hard to to be super clear on everything that could potentially happen. So there's the interpretation of that. That's why, even though I think it's great to have good, clear medical directives, it's also important to pair that with an agent who understands who you are, what you value, what you uh, would want in terms of an understanding of quality of life and circumstance and situation. Um, so those two go hand in hand because at the end of the day, if you have a very clear expressed desire in a very clear expressed situation, yes, medical providers will follow that. Unfortunately, usually they're unclear circumstances. They don't exactly line up. And so you need that agent as someone who knows you to work with those medical providers to make those decisions. We need to take one more break. When we come back, we'll go over anything we may have missed about estate planning. Joining me is David York. He is with York Powell and is an estate planner. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about estate planning, and it is very, very important, even though none of us want to die. Joining me today is David York. He is an attorney, a CPA, and an estate planner with York Howell. All right, David, we've talked in the first segment about what you call a revocable trust. Can you make something irrevocable? 
Yeah, there's all different kinds of, of trust. Usually we'll always start with what we call a, a revocable, revocable uh, living trust. That just means a trust that you can change, modify, amend. Living just refers to the fact that you create it and fund it while you're alive, as opposed to certain trusts that aren't created until death. And then at its essence, a trust is just an agreement between three parties. You got the settlor who creates the trust, the trustees who manage the trust, and the beneficiaries who get the benefit from the trust. Usually when we do those, the, the people who set it up are all three. They're the ones who set it up. They're the trustees who control and the beneficiaries who get the benefit. But one of the reasons we set up trust is because situations can change. So if you get disabled or if you pass away, you can have backup trustees who can manage the assets. If something happens to you, you can name a spouse or children as beneficiaries. So the roles could change from time to time, and you've built in kind of a succession for those, but the trust can still manage and hold those assets. So usually we'll always do revocable trust because the, the one thing that stays the same is the need for change. You know, you, kids get older, assets change, people move, but there are circumstances where we'll set up a trust that we want to be irrevocable uh, or unchangeable. Typically we do that for tax purposes or for asset protection, some additional more advanced planning that we'll use. But even when we do that, we'll still usually undergird an estate plan with a, a good, simple, revocable trust to, to deal with that succession of control, to minimize tax and to protect assets for survivors. If I set up a trust, whether it's revocable or irrevocable, does that mean my beneficiaries will never have to pay a tax, what they call the death tax? Yeah. So, you know, in America, when we say the word taxes, we have to be specific, right? Because there's lots of them. So generally, when we're dealing with estate planning, we deal with two taxes. One is an estate tax. That's a tax on the value of your assets over a certain amount. So if, if you die, your family makes a list of your assets. And if it's over a certain amount, it's, it's subject to a tax. There's capital gains tax. That's a tax on the difference between what you buy something for and what you sell it for. When you die, generally your assets receive what's called a step-up in basis that helps to reduce or eliminate that tax. So we're always dealing with those two. And then this, again, is where it's really important to understand the laws of the state that you live in. There are a number of states that have a state estate tax. So in addition to a potential federal estate tax, some states have estate taxes, and some of those exemptions are fairly low before that, that tax kicks in, uh, even as low as a couple million dollars. And then there's a few states that actually have an inheritance tax. That's a tax uh, if you inherit assets at death. And so, you know, if you're not careful, if, if you live, if your parents live in one state that has a state estate tax and they pass away, and you live in a state that has an inheritance tax, you could have federal estate tax state estate tax and inheritance tax. So Ugh. now the, the thing about those taxes is that they're always so political. So they're constantly changing and they, they tend to vary a lot. So even if you think you have a good understanding of what the tax laws are today, in all likelihood, they're going to change. And then if you move from one state to another, uh, you, you'll see a lot of those. You, you saw a lot of movement on the East Coast from higher tax states down to Florida, which doesn't have a state income tax or a state estate tax. So people are moving not just for income tax planning, but also uh, estate tax considerations as well. Wow. I just want to get this clear in my head. So I'm going to use an example. Uh, when my parents die, assuming they're still in the house and if they don't go to assisted living, 
I will inherit their house. Now, they live in Washington State, and I live in Utah. So if I inherit the house and I go, well, I'm never going to move to Washington, I'm going to sell the house, do I have to pay uh, state taxes or, you know, the, the death tax on the proceeds of the house when I sell it? Yeah, so good question and a great example. So again, if you if your parents were to pass away, whatever they bought their house for is their basis. It would step up to fair market value as a date of death, which would allow you to generally sell that house without any capital gains tax. That said, there is an estate tax, not necessarily on you, but on their estate and the value of their estate. And in Washington, that's on value of assets over $2 million. And that starts at a 10% tax and goes up to a 20% tax. So depending, and that's every asset they own. So that's real estate, life insurance, retirement plans, bank accounts, uh, go towards that calculation. The federal estate tax exemption is is $12.9 million. So they may not have a federal estate tax, but they could potentially have uh, a state estate tax if their estate is over that amount. And you said that's $2 million? Yeah, it's $2.1 million. It adjusts for inflation each year, but it's one of the lower exemptions. And so, you know, I have people who say, oh, Washington's great because there's no there's no income tax. They don't have an income tax, but they do have an estate tax. So if their property, everything together, is worth $1.5 million and I inherit that, I would not have to pay taxes on it. But once it got $2.1 million and above, I have to then start paying taxes on everything, that two point one, or everything above two point one. Yeah, on assets above above that amount. Minnesota has a tax on the full amount if you go over that amount. So, you know, each state's a little bit different. But if you're, you know, generally speaking, if you have an estate under two million in Washington, there's generally no tax. One one other, this is why it it gets so complicated and and why we lawyers stay busy is um, that's true of most assets. Some assets like IRAs are still subject to tax after death. So beneficiaries, when they pull funds out of that, even if it's uh, in your estate, that does not receive a step up in basis. So by and large, assets would come tax free, uh, but that is one exception. Retirement plan assets are still subject to tax whenever anyone takes that out, either the person who set it up, a surviving spouse or uh, children. All right. Oh, avoiding probate. We want to talk about yeah. how do we avoid probate. And and first of all, if we don't avoid it, let's say I, I totally messed up, didn't do my will, I died. The people who were hoping to get something have to go to court, go to probate. Does that cost anybody anything to go through probate? Yeah. So probate is just the court supervised process of changing title to assets. So if somebody dies, they have something in their own name. Who does it go to and how does it get there? So that's the probate process. Again, this is something that varies dramatically from state to state. Utah, for example, has a pretty straightforward, fairly simple process of probate. If everyone's, if the family's all on board, there's no contest or disagreement, can be a fairly simple, straightforward process. California can be very expensive to probate property. And one thing that people don't realize is that if if you die owning property in multiple states, you actually have to do a probate in every single state. So your your state of residence when you die and every state that you own property. 
So, you know, I have clients who have recreational property in another state or business property or even timeshares. You technically have to do a probate in every state. Real property uh, can be very difficult to transfer at death if you don't have it in a trust. So another reason why people should consider planning if, is if they own property in multiple states. So, David, it sounds to me like if things are fairly simple in your life, or in your death, <laughs> you can go on to many of the state websites wherever you live and start filling things out, filling some of these forms out, a will, trust, a medical power of attorney. But if things start getting complicated, you probably need to see an estate planner and just know that you're going to have to pay out a little bit of money for them to help you organize everything that you need. Yeah, I think so. And like I said, it's it's like a lot of different professions. You know, there's there's some things if you put in enough time and effort, you can, and your situation is fairly straightforward, you know, you can do a lot of this stuff on your own. Um, but at the same time, we live in a complicated world. And so sometimes it's nice to just have that that expertise and experience and, and time saving and knowing something's done right. If I do one of these wills online, do I have to get it notarized or if I just, if I die and my friends find it, they go, oh, here's the will and that's all they need? Yeah, I'm going to pull that whole, it depends uh, answer again. So uh, most states require uh, to be what's called a self-proved will or a valid document typically requires two witnesses and a notary. And so you want to make sure that you meet the, the formalities of the document for it to be effective. All right. Any other tips for our listeners before we leave? No, I, I just think, again, it, sometimes it can feel a bit overwhelming, but honestly, it's really just a matter of making a few decisions, uh, taking some steps. And I will say, invariably, clients who have put this off for years uh, or haven't done it, there is a tremendous sense of uh, relief uh, and peace of mind knowing that there's a plan in place if something happens. So, I think we shouldn't underestimate just the personal value that we sense because oftentimes you say, well, this is after I'm dead and gone. It actually provides a lot of peace of mind while you're alive. Yes, I would agree. Thankfully, my parents just got their wills done in the last year. <laughs> All right. Good. If anybody is interested in learning more or getting help from you, where can they go to, to find you? Yeah, we have some tools and resources and information. You can just check out our website, York. Howell.com, Y-O-R-K-H-O-W-E-L-L.com. Also, uh, you can reach out to me through that. Happy to get any information. We've got write-ups on estate planning, advanced estate planning, other things. So I really think it's key for, you know, large part of what we do is just help educate clients on their circumstance and situation. All right. Thank you so much, David York. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.